You're listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. Everybody, it's Robin McMahon here. Welcome back to Parenting Our Future. And today uh, we're talking about a really important subject, one that I haven't really tackled yet on uh, on the podcast. So I have Dr. Mary Barbera here, and she kind of fell into the world of autism in the late 1990s when her firstborn son Lucas started showing signs of autism. Fast forward to today, he's 24 years old, and uh, Mary is now an award-winning international speaker, a podcaster, an online course creator, an author, and her mission is to help parents and professionals turn autism or the signs of autism around for millions of children around the world. And she's really here to talk about a really important book that is about to launch at the end of March, 2021. Um, It's called Turn Autism Around, an action guide for parents of young children with early signs of autism. I love this, uh, Mary. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Robin. It's a pleasure. And I really love that it's an action guide. You know, I think there's so often, there's so many books that are like, okay, well, this is what it's all about. Off you go. (laughs) But it's like, tell me what to do, right? This is the what, but I need the how. So I am excited about, um, I'm excited about this conversation. And, uh, you know, for me, I know it's long overdue. So if you wouldn't mind, let's start at the beginning. You, You talk about your son, Lucas, who is now 24 years old. What was your journey like? Because it must have been, it must have been life changing for you to really course correct your own life to 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 focus on this on on this specialty. Yeah. So um, I had a master's degree in nursing, married to a physician, had both my kids, Lucas and then Spencer, eighteen months apart. You oh, know, wow. at the time I was a stay at home mom. I figured. Um, you know, I would raise my kids for a few years and then I would um, probably go back and earn a PhD and go back into the nursing field where I was doing research and I was a nurse manager and really trying to move that whole field forward. But um, when Spencer was born, it was the winter of 1997 and in early 2000, uh, 1998, excuse me, um, I took Spencer to a well visit, uh, a two month well visit. And my husband said, when you go there with Spencer, um, ask the doctor how many words Lucas should have. So I did. And I said to the doctor, you know, who was the pediatrician for both the kids. Um, okay, Spencer's fine. How many words should Lucas had, have? And I remember him saying 25 words and he was, Lucas was 21 months of age. So I get back to my husband and um, he says, okay, have the visit go. And I said, fine. And, and he said, and how many words should Lucas have? And he said, um, I said, oh, he has 20, he should have 25. And so my husband's like, well, he doesn't have 25. Well, so in the car on the way home, I am counting every word I have heard in the last three months. I'm counting, well, he, he kind of regressed with some skills. So he used to say hi, so I'm counting hi. He even had this little script, like we take him to the park and then in the middle of the night, it, it was actually, it's actually called delayed echolalia, but it's scripting. So we take him to the park and my husband would read, do, please do not feed the ducks. And he would add quack, quack. So Lucas would wake up and say, please do not feed the ducks, quack, quack. I was counting those words, please do not feed the ducks, quack, quack, as eight right. of his bona fide 25 words. So I said, no, no, he has, he, I was counting E-I-E-I-O as five more words, like <laughs> literally like grasping at straws, not even thinking autism. I mean, I was just like trying to make my husband be quiet and as we do and trying <laughs> to make it okay, you know, that it, yeah. it was all right. He was, so you he were was, freaked out is what you're saying. You were freaked well, out. Well, well, I wasn't freaked out until my husband then said, so you don't think Lucas has autism. And I can still remember like sitting in my family room of my old house with my two boys. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I was just, I had watched Rain Man 
And as a nursing clinical rotation, I had gone um, to a residential placement and some of the teenagers there had autism and it didn't look pretty, you know, mm-hmm. residential uh, teens in, sure. the 80- in the 1980s, you know, it was really scary to me as a nursing student. So I basically freaked out. I told my husband he was wrong. Like I had never even thought that there was anything wrong, let alone autism. And I thought, what's the point of, you know, there's nothing we could do if it was. So, you know, hopefully it'll just get better. Do not ever, I never want to hear the word autism again, ever out of your mouth. He really on his own, had his own suspicions, but you were totally clueless and a stay-at-home mom. So you were with him all the time and no yeah. clue. And then I had a new baby. Right. And well, that's, see, there the, you go. The, the thing about my husband <laughs> is he's a physician. He's an emergency medicine physician. Right. And so what his big concern was, wasn't really the language. It was the fact that Lucas was 18 months when Spencer was born and he was completely clueless, like mommy's big belly, nothing. Like you could, we could have literally brought a plastic baby doll home and it would have been the same. So there was that really lack of awareness. And so, um, so basically I shut down and I, you know, uh, he didn't bring it up again. We enrolled Lucas in in typical preschool when he was two. He was a summer birthday. So he turned two in the summer, started in September. We got speech therapy started. Um, Didn't really talk about autism. And the rate back then was one in 500. Um, Now it's about one in 50. And one in six children also have some kind of developmental disorder at the age of eight. They either have one in six, autism, ADHD, learning disabilities, um, speech disorders, cerebral palsy, those, those are all encompassed one in every six. And so- One in every six kids yes, has a, a sorry, How did you say that? A, d- a developmental- a Developmental disorder, including autism, ADHD, learning disorders, um, speech disorders, um, at age eight, this is a CDC stat. Um, and then one in 50 have autism now. And so it's, Can I, it's very frequent. Okay. And so I don't want to get into the weeds about it, but what, what is the reason it's gone from one in 500 to one in 50? Is it just we're better at recognizing it? Uh, we are better at recognizing it. That is some, some of it. Um, environmental triggers. Uh, it is highly genetic too. Um, and it's a combination just like breast cancer has exploded. There's a strong genetic component to breast cancer, Mm -hmm. but there's gotta be a lot of environmental triggers as well. And then when you're talking about the range of the spectrum, I mean, a lot of people say, well, you know, we're spectrum is so wide. The DSM five, is now in play. That's how you would uh, diagnose autism. The DSM-4 was in play when Lucas was diagnosed. So, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, And, uh, but the thing I've learned over the years, finally, by the time Lucas was two and a half, two and three quarters, uh, the preschool was calling us in Mm. Um, you know, he's kind of in his own world. Um, we're worried about him going to the three-year-old class. You have to be potty trained to get to the three-year-old class. The student to teacher ratios get worse. Um, he's not aggressive. He's not doing anything harmful. He's just not talking. You know, at that point, I'm like trying to get him to say ball, which I had no idea how to get him to talk. He had words, but I had no idea how to get more words. Now I absolutely know. Um, and kids were coming out going, can I go over to Johnny's house and play? And I'm trying to get him to say ball. And so as you <laughs> wait and worry, right, the situation gets worse. And Um, So the day before his third birthday, he was diagnosed with moderate to severe autism. And a couple months before that, I had read a book about applied behavior analysis treatment 
and that that was and still is the most scientifically validated treatment for children with autism and it's intensive therapy. Um, and uh, so I found this therapy and even some of the really um, classic studies done in the late 80s and 90s that showed that kids could actually become quote unquote indistinguishable from their peers. Um, and I know the the term recovery is really, um, you know, controversial, oh, trigger yeah. for a lot of people, you know, but, um, but that's what these early studies showed with applied behavior analysis is that um, kids could do a lot better. And, and kids, kids that I've cared for now as a behavior analyst, they've, um, they're in college, they're driving they're you know, so whatever indistinguishable recovery looks like some kids do really, really well. Um, right. And that um, the, but because we waited so long because of my denial mostly, um, and then we got in a little waiting list situation, but you know, Lucas was diagnosed the day before he was three. And then I was like, well, what about indistinguishable? What about recovery? You know, and what about ABA? And the doctor was like, yes, you, you need to do ABA because that is what we do, right. um, what we recommend. But, you know, he didn't say it specifically, but he pretty much said in my head, if you would have brought him in as soon as your husband mentioned it, and you would have gotten on this at 21 months instead of 36 months, he could have had a better shot. My gosh. Um, and so then I was like extra guilty. Yeah. Right. And so anyway, um, we got him into applied behavior analysis treatment, 40 hours per week for a three-year-old. That's eight hours per day, five days a week therapy. Um, depending on the state you lived in, people were mortgaging their houses and stuff. But in Pennsylvania, where I live, there was a, another kind of loophole situation so that um, Lucas could go on medical assistance and he could get this kind of um, treatment without us going into uh, debt. But anyway, fast forward, I became a board certified behavior analyst. I um, was a, a big part of this big grant through Pennsylvania called the Pennsylvania Verbal Behavior Project. I ended up writing my book, The Verbal Behavior Approach, speaking all over the world about autism. Wow. And then I was like, all right, I got a PhD then. And I was just like, people are like, well, what are you going to do now? And <laughs> you have a PhD. This is a decade ago in 2011. I was like, well, I'm just going to keep going door to door, playing potato head with my little clients and speaking around yeah. the world until I can figure out what to do, until I figure out how to get my message online. Because yeah. I knew door-to-door -door was not efficient. And I knew flying all over the world was not efficient in terms of getting my word out. So um, fast forward, I, I became a, basically an online marketer. Uh, I joined Jeff Walker's launch program. And, um, and so now for the past six years, I've been, um, I produce and sell online courses for parents and professionals. And my, my newest course is been around for a couple of years. It's the toddler preschooler course. And I'm getting parents in there, a lot of parents, half the parents don't even have a diagnosis for their kids now. Because now with the rate of being one in 50, now parents are, even if they're not in denial, the wait list for evaluations and treatment are just horrendous, like nine months yeah. to two years. Well, let's, let's sort of stop there for a second, because what I want to do is I want to look at, and I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I no, no. we're talking one in 50 and as a mom, um, and as a, you know, I, I think back to, you know, this was your first child. I know you had another one right away, but look, we're, we can be really hypersensitive to what's going on. We can either draw the wrong conclusion. We, you know, I mean, how many doctor's visits ha did I have when my son just had diarrhea when he was a baby? You know what I mean? Like, so some parents either, you know, can be, you know, really pragmatic others can, you know, be extra sensitive others, whatever you get what I'm saying. So let's just totally. like talk about what the early signs are, whether they're autism or not. What you're saying is there are still things you can do that 
even if you don't have a diagnosis that will help your child along, regardless of whether they have autism or not, because we're still looking at one in six having developmental disorders, and this will help them too, right? Right. Even if right. they're a typical child, you're not, you're not, you're not, you've not wasted anything. These are uh, right. really good engagement strategies yeah. um, for, for parents and grandparents. We have lots of grandmothers um, in our online courses as well. So basically the signs are, and I didn't know these signs as a nurse. I didn't know it was my responsibility to print off or look at developmental checklists or anything. I was just like, I was more like you worried about like if any diarrhea or cough or from a <laughs> medical model, I wasn't. Um, looking at development. So uh, a speech delay is very common. So whether that's a very young child, and my, my new book is, is for parents of one to five-year-olds with autism or signs of autism, which are also signs of ADHD, signs of learning yeah. disorders, signs of speech delays. So speech delay, whether it's not talking or like um, have what I call pop out words, like they have words, but you don't know how to get more words. Um, so, but it shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't require effort to teach kids to talk. Um, right. They're so with, like sponges, right? They're, they're they should be, you know, yeah. but if they're not, if you're like, you know, ball and the other kids, uh, the, your child's age are speaking in full sentences, then there's probably a disconnect. But even earlier than that, before age one, when you should be getting some words, some single words, before age one, you also have to look at like babbling. Um, you have to look at um, face con eye contact, but like looking at faces, smiles, giggles, when the parent is trying to do something, babbling, and then babbling words and getting baba versus mama and dada. And then early imitation, like making raspberries with your face, and then the child makes raspberries, like those are all what we call joint attention. And that's really what goes off track with kids that end up with a diagnosis of autism they um they actually lose that back and forth it, it just gets off track and all of a sudden you know kids can also regress and like lucas he was waving and he was pointing and then he stopped and some kids have a very severe regression where it's like one day they're not doing things but i was pregnant i was you know a first-time mom so it was like he became a pickier eater. Now he was crying for this. He was, you know, the cute little sing-songy things that we used to do. He wasn't doing them anymore. So then it was like, well, is it a phase? I don't know. So right. depending on the age, like whether you're worried about uh, eight-month-old versus you're worried about a three-year-old, now three-year-old should be forming sentences and that sort of thing. So he could you know, just because your child's talking doesn't mean they don't have autism either because they're talking is only one, one piece of the puzzle. The social communication, play, pretend play, um, shared play, shared communication, shared negotiation. Um, so communication, social communication specifically. And then the other big thing is um, repetitive or restricted interests. Um, but not every, you know, gifted children have restricted and repetitive interests. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, my typical son, Spencer, was really obsessed with trains. Um, and I was worried, you know, kids also, a, a really big thing when you are 15 to 18 months of age is you really need to point with your index finger to indicate not only what you want, but things, uh, things in the sky to get your parents' attention to look up at the sky. Um, and that's another uh, signal of joint attention where I want your attention to look at the airplane and I'm pointing, I'm looking at you, that social referencing. So it sounds complicated in some ways. It, it's pretty simple in other ways, but it depends on your child's age. Um, and so in my book, I talk about all these signs yeah. Um, and then I refer people to the CDC Act Early website, which you can print out and you can look at 
four months of age, they should be doing this. And like I say in my book, it's like if you have a two-year-old and they are only meeting the 18-month milestones, but it's pretty clear across the board, that's, that's probably just a little bit of a delay. Um, but if you're looking at a two-year-old and they are in some areas meeting a nine-month-old level or a 12-month-old level or a three-month-old level, for some areas, then you're talking about huge, huge differences. And that's why another reason you have to really act early because, you know, if I would have gotten on it when my husband first mentioned it at 21 months, Lucas would have been at a nine to 12 month old level of language. But that's where he was when he was three. He was still back at the nine to 12 month old level. So would he have continued to progress had you um, caught it early? If, well, if I would know what I know now. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even know if he would, you know, I I mean, I just know so much. I mean, even just talking is one thing, but receptive language is another thing, like following directions to do things, following directions to touch your body parts. Um, just being aware that mommy's having a baby and now this baby is coming home and this baby cries and, and watch changed diapers. I mean, there's just so many skills that typical kids develop naturally that kids on the spectrum, especially on the severe end of the spectrum are very delayed with. So, um, so is it, is it a lost cause if you miss the opportunity in those younger years, because you, you said to me that, um, you know, a, it's never too late on one hand, but, um, on the other hand, there was, you also said to me, um, that most kids with, with autism are operating at a certain age level, right? Uh, um, it, it's such a huge spectrum. It's autism spectrum disorder. So we have, we go from very severe, you know, needing no language, no language ability, you know, mm-hmm. um, not toilet trained, not, you know, able to do much to on the other end of the spectrum, depending on the age, you know, kids going to college, kids driving and, mm-hmm. and having just subtle differences. So, um, it's, it's never too early to put these strategies in place. And, you know, this, my book is really for kids who are one to five, either really chronologic age or have some deficits that are one to five-year-old level and, or have issues with problem behaviors, potty training, eating, sleeping through the night in their own bed, going to the doctor's dentist haircuts and having problem behaviors. So my book is a step-by-step guide for all of these things. Right. Um, and, and really, it, you know, it, it's hard because my first book, I talked to like anybody under the sun, parents, professionals, toddlers, routines, you know, low on. end of the spectrum versus high, you know, but even that book is, my focus is really, I specialize in kids that are not conversational. So those kids that are going to college and and everything, I mean, I can give general strategies because I'm a behavior analyst and I'm a mom and I have a typical son and I know the science of applied behavior analysis can be applied to everybody, even all of us, you know, typical adults. Yeah, I think think what what the point I I really want to make is that what you can do with catching it early and, and using the applied uh, behavior analysis is, um, is that it, it's not necessarily going to take your child off the spectrum, but it's going to help them really live like the best life they can live. Right. And so you, you're really stopping the slide back, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You're stopping the slide yeah. backwards and you're helping them to stay at and, and also grow as and develop um, as much as they can, even if they stay at a grade five level, let's say hypothetically, right? Even if they stay at a grade five level for most things, um, you could have got, it could have been worse if you didn't do it. Is that, that's what you're saying? Well, I think we're all trying to improve ourselves. And, um, 
yeah, my goal for every child, whether it's my son, Lucas, with autism, or my son, Spencer, who's now in medical school, is for both my kids, all my clients, all of your kids, if you're listening, to be as safe as possible. And so safety for Lucas and Spencer looks different. I mean, Spencer flies in planes and stuff, but we still talk about safety. I mean, that's the number one thing, right? How are you going to be safe? Safe, as independent as possible, and as happy as possible. Mm -hmm. And so that each child reaches their fullest potential and continues. I mean, that's not a static thing where you reach your fullest potential. Um, And that, you know, we as parents only have one life too. So, you know, it's very common, especially for moms in the autism world to get so, you know, ingrained with everything and just throw themselves into it. 24 seven, like I did, like it is ironic that I told my husband I never want to hear the word autism again. And now I say it, speak it, write it, type it like yeah. zillions of times a day, but we only have one life too. Mm-hmm. And so um, we also want to be happy. And so mm-hmm. I know, and there may be listeners out there that have heard bad things about applied behavior analysis that, you know, um, there was in the earlier um, uh, renditions of applied behavior analysis treatment for kids with autism, there was more, you know, punishment and that sort of thing. My approach, because I'm a mom, I'm a registered nurse, I'm a behavior analyst, I believe in a really child-friendly approach. I don't want crying. I don't recommend crying it out. I don't recommend keeping the demand on. I recommend if a child's crying, we have to figure out why he's crying. There's obviously missing some prerequisite skills. We don't have enough reinforcement. We don't have, um, we, we just have to think about, okay, this crying is not an option. And that, you know, a lot of parenting um, sites and groups, you know, there's, there's actually what I would consider some bad advice going on from other parents who, you know, have been told, um, let them cry it out or they just have to learn like that is not my way at all. So what exactly is applied behavioral? Uh, and I keep forgetting the extra a the applied behavioral analysis. It's <laughs> applied behavior analysis. It, and it's, it is confusing. So applied behavior analysis is a science. It's the science of changing socially significant behavior. So the science, when people say, oh, I don't like ABA or we tried ABA, it doesn't work. It's like, to me, applied behavior analysis and is a science. So that you saying ABA doesn't work is like saying gravity doesn't work. It, if you reinforce a behavior, it will go up and it's, it's learning theory. It's, it's gaming, you know, how to, you hear a noise when you get a correct response. It's, it's all of that is, is ABA. It's the science of, you know, the fact that your listeners are listening right now, they wouldn't be listening if they weren't interested, if this was not reinforcing information, Mm -hmm. um, you, you wouldn't go, to get a job and unless you were gonna get paid. Like that's reinforcement. Like people are like, oh, I don't believe in rewards. Well, we're all operating in a state yes. of reinforcement. <laughs> Otherwise so we would it, not be. If you boil anything. it down into its simplest forms, is that what it is? I mean, for any, yeah. like for somebody who has never heard that term before, mm-hmm. like, how do you say it? And I know, you know, I know you live and breathe this, but how do you say this in the most simplest forms? And then, and then what does it look like practically if you're trying to teach your child to speak? Yeah, so, and, and there's actually a two-part answer. First, applied behavior analysis is a science of changing okay. behavior. So that, that is something that's like steeped in science. There's not any argument. However, where the controversy comes in is in the 80s, and really in the 70s and the 60s too, but mostly in the 80s, applied behavior analysis is also a treatment package for kids with autism. And that's where you take the science and you make a treatment package. Um, And my treatment package is also based on my nursing background, my mom background, my advocate background, um, Mm -hmm. my marketing background. 
Um, mm. Because I have to break things down even simpler because, you know, not everybody's going to have 20, 30 years of experience as a nurse exactly. and a behavior analyst. <laughs> so my, so basically with any kind of applied behavior analysis treatment package is we break things down into steps so that a child that can't speak at all, we, um, can they babble? Do they say anything? Can we even get them to say ah versus mm? You know, yeah. that's a big start because if we can okay. get a discrimination between the two or a child who is speaking but doesn't know colors, for instance, like how should we, should we teach one color at a time or should we teach three colors? Okay. Should we okay. teach them to touch the colors or should we teach them to say the colors? Should we teach them to match colors? Um, so it gets really complicated. Gotcha. Um, okay. And um, not all ABA is created equal. I am a board certified behavior analyst, but there, and I was among the first uh, 1200 board certified behavior analysts. It just started basically 20 years ago in 2000. But there's, you know, 40,000 behavior analysts. Um, and there's many, many other people. Now I was saying before, like people had to mortgage our houses and stuff to pay for this, but now ABA treatment, applied behavior analysis treatment for kids with autism is covered in all 50 states. Wow. So now people start hearing more about this. Um, and help. so now ABA is, is really known as the treatment for kids with autism. But as I outlined in my book, breaking these steps down is just a very good parenting model. Okay. So there's right. four steps to the turn autism around approach, assessment, planning, teaching, or intervening in some way, and then evaluating with easy data. And that is the scientific method. So if you have a sleep problem, we need to assess how old they are, what their general ability level is, and then what's the problem with sleep? Not falling asleep, not staying in their bed right. through the night, you know, banging their head on the pillow or on the bedboard or whatever. But we have to take it systematically. So basically, it's just a systematic way of teaching any skill. And, and any, breaking every it down day. as small yeah. as you need to based on where the child is at. Okay, I think I get that. And, better. To, yeah. and to have a lot of reinforcement um, going. Um, so that that has to be planned. Because a lot of kids that aren't talking, they haven't learned it naturally, need a lot more reinforcement than you would think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So, so that's, so, so really what we're talking about is the science of, you know, it, like really encouraging them, teaching them, boiling it down to the very basic. And you can't really define what it's going to be um, like as an umbrella statement, really, because um, it's so individual to the child and where they are, but it, it in and of itself is really breaking down, um, you know, like sleep, like, let's look at all the reasons why, what exactly is going on. Like, let's get the whole picture. And then from there, we put a plan in place. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. good. Um, and so what, what you're saying is uh, also is that, yes, that ABA is available in all 50 states. And, and you know, I, as, as a Canadian, I know that it's available here too. However, there are tremendous amounts of wait lists because there are one in 50, you know, one in six that could be suspected. And, and, uh, and, and like you say, um, you know, the one in six could be ADHD or learning, you know, disabilities, those sorts of things. So, it is in parents' best interests to, to really take this on, on their own as best they can, because within the waiting time, there is a slide back, could be a slide back, most probably will be a slide backwards. Um, and so like, let's just keep it going as best as we can, um, based on your own bandwidth as a, as a parent too, because this is a lot of pressure and a lot of stress, you know, for parents too, but that's essentially what you're saying. And that's the book that you've written, which is like amazing. 
Thank you. Yeah, it was a, uh, a labor of love. Turn Autism Around is the title of the book. And um, it's available for pre-order. It's um, coming out in late March uh, in time for Autism Awareness Month, which is April. But it, I really want to stress that it, even if you don't have a child with autism, if you have a child with any kind of issues, speech delays or attention mm -hmm. issues, or you just think they're a little behind, or you have a nephew with autism, or you have a, another child with autism, or you just want to learn good techniques for solving picky eating or reducing yeah. um, tantrums. Uh, that's the other thing is applied behavior analysis treatment looks at increasing all the good behaviors you want, talking, all those behaviors we talked about while reducing any problem behaviors. Right. So it's that scale of um, the reason they're not learning is because they usually have either some, some tantrums that are just out of control that aren't going to go away just based on what you did with your last child. Um, and then, or they may have some like really repetitive interests that it's hard to like break in. Um, okay, can I ask you, yeah, would sure. you be able to give me a couple of sound bites, if you will, on just to help parents? Because look, every parent that's listening is here listening because they most probably have a child on the spectrum or they suspect that they do. So let's say we, um, we've talked about the early signs. Let's say you've got a child who's really prone to meltdowns. You know, what can you say, you know, sort of quickly, cause I, I you know, we're, we're almost out of time. What, what could you say quickly that would help a parent immediately help with it, with a meltdown or a tantrum? I use the word interchangeably. Yeah. So that's a great question. And um, I'm a behavior analyst. So tantrums, reducing tantrums and reducing problem behaviors is what I do. Okay. Um, and it has nothing to do with autism, really. Right. I mean, even for adults, uh, you know, basically we have a couple reasons why people have problem behaviors. And right. there's, there's four functions or whys of problem okay. behaviors. So there's the, um, the child could have a medical issue and be crying or having problem behaviors related to that. Most people don't talk about that very much because they're assuming that everything's fine. But as a nurse and a behavior analyst, I think we need a lot, whole lot more research on that. And I know my own son, when he was a teenager, got some pretty severe problem behaviors and it was related to a medical condition. And now he's completely stable. And I, I did a podcast mm -hmm. with his psychiatrist and the psychiatrist put him on a cardiac med that solved his autonomic nervous system function, which sounds like that could be like a whole, you know, show on its own, but yeah. it is so confusing. So medical issues are real. If your mm -hmm. child's having diarrhea and, you know, they, they might not be able to tell you my belly hurts either, but, you know, so medical issues are big. And it, okay. especially if it's an acute tantrum, like all of a sudden your child is crying, you mm. know, I would rule out ear infection and, you know, really think about is, are their stools normal and, and those sorts of things. So medical issues are, are big. Okay. Um, and then there are two big functions that we see all the time in schools and homes. And one is, that a child will cry because they, do, they want something and they either don't know how to ask for it, don't know how to ask for it the right way, or you're telling them no and they want it, okay? So you, you think the classic story of the kid in the grocery aisle, you know, with right. the, wanting the candy and, and now you're dropping to the ground and crying because you're not giving them the candy. Right. So that is one, one area um, mm -hmm. why kids have fits. And then the other reason why tantrums happen is when kids are told to do something they don't want to do, like take a bath or time to um, go on Zoom for homeschooling and uh, or put your coat on or put your shoes on or um, clean, clean up your room. So that those two functions are really what we see all day long. And a lot of times it can be combined. Um, 
during transitions all done your game uh your gaming system time to um do your homework now we've we've actually inadvertently given a demand to stop a preferred activity and Mm -hmm. we also placed another demand and then we wonder why kids have such a hard time transitioning from high preferred to low preferred right oh yeah and so i talk a lot about that in my chapter on reducing problem behaviors but basically transitioning, um, give warnings, dangle the carrot before, before problem behaviors occur. Don't have them go from a 10 on their reinforcement scale to a one. So instead of having their most preferred thing and their least preferred thing, you want to like, okay, let's, um, you're going to give the transition warning. Okay. Five more minutes to, um, your, uh, game. And then, um, and then we're going to have a snack, which is on a scale of one to 10 isn't a two, it's a nine or an right. eight. So right. then it's like, you've given a warning. You've, you've even sometimes just set a timer, you know, like depending on if a child has the ability to comprehend what you're saying. Um, so in general, basically we go through the four steps of the turn autism around approach. We assess what's the problem if it's a severe problem like they're aggressive or self-injurious or property destruction obviously that's more important to tackle than whining um so there's degrees so we go through assessment we look at not just the problem behaviors but when it occurs why it occurs and is there also this huge language gap like do they not understand the world around them then you're going to have to actually put be uh, your plan in place to treat them really more like um, somebody a lot younger. So you mm-hmm. wouldn't be giving all these verbal directions to, you know, transition. And, you know, you would, you just have to calm the situation down by coming up with your assessment. You know, you may have like a hundred different problems you want to tackle all at the same time. And that's why in my book, I have a one-page assessment that's going to be available as a book resource. I like many resources within the book are also going to be available for free at turnautismaround.com. But the one-page assessment looks at the whole picture very quickly in 10 minutes so that we're not dealing with sleep when really the issue is self-injurious behavior during eating, Mm -hmm. you know, or whatever. Yeah. So, okay. So, so really what I, what I heard you say is, you know, in terms of stopping, you know, a meltdown or a tantrum, we're looking at what is the underlying reason why, right? And it's, you know, what, what I always tell parents is like, you take the behavior and you just put it aside for a minute, right? Because we need to get underneath what's really going on. And you're saying it's either a medical reason that they want something that they either can't ask for, or they want something they can't have, or you're asking them to do something that they don't want. And what you're really saying is, okay, look, if we're going to transition kids and we want to stop a meltdown before it happens, and we want to say, hey, stop eating that ice cream um, so that you can now eat your broccoli is really not good because ice cream is high on um, a preferred activity versus broccoli, which is the lowest of low for a lot of kids, right? Yeah. So you want to say, you know, like you, you, you can't have any more ice cream, but, you know, here's, here's what, um, a, an, an yeah. apple, or something, yeah. something yeah. sweet and, and still yummy, whatever. So you're really uh, trying to keep it into the favorable kind of category. Um, and, and the thing is, is, is really what parents need because we get so overwhelmed because we're so tired, we're so confused, is we need to know those things and we need to not just know the what, we need to know the how. And really that's what you've provided is and the, in, one, in your book, right? One thing that I didn't say that I absolutely need to say is with problem behaviors, we want to spend 95% of our time preventing them by doing yes, all this back end work, yes. 90, 95% of your time preventing problem behaviors. Because once he starts the meltdown at the grocery store, it's not a win-win situation. Yeah, um, I totally and agree. So, so we have to be proactive. We have to plan. And we have to plan it 
all together. And that's why my book and my online courses um, are pre preventative. So we're looking at a snapshot yeah. of a one page assessment you can do in 10 minutes. We have a one page plan we can do it in 10 minutes based on the child's strengths and needs and age and family priorities. And then we start tackling things. And so you, with the grocery store idea is you may have to have a plan. Like I know mm -hmm. when I was a little kid, my mom would get me a box of animal crackers at the start of the trip and I would eat them the whole way. Or, you know, yeah. she, she would let me eat them. Um, that's a, uh, just a, a preventative strategy. Um, you could decide like every time when you come home from the grocery store, um, they get to access their iPad for 15 minutes. And, and that, that's the problem, especially during this age of COVID where, yeah, you know, people are just really struggling with how to, you know, how much free access to all these iPads and electronics and, you know, yeah, kids I mean, and families are, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but think about preventative. Don't think it. about like, I've got to buy my child something every trip. Think about things you have at home that could be kind of quarantined in terms of keeping them special for after you get home, you get to do this. Yeah, I love that. And it, and and honestly, it really reinforces what what I say to the parents that I work with is that you have got the amount of energy that you're going to expend in any circumstance, right? Normally, we, the energy is on the on the back end when we're dealing with the behavior that we don't like, the meltdown, the disrespect, whatever. Like there's so much energy we waste um, or just, that's just where we were spending it. But if you could put the energy on the front end of, of a situation, you know, plan ahead, think ahead to where the triggers are going to be, where, you know, where you're going to have trouble um, and address that ahead of time, either with a plan or with a conversation or whatever it is, then it makes room for connection. It makes room for, um, for enjoyment as well. And that is of course for, for any child. Um, so, you know, so I love what you're saying here and I love that you don't just have, you know, the, what it's the, how, and that's what we need. Like, please just tell me what I need to do because I'm willing to do it. I know parents are so willing to do what needs to be done for their child. Um, and, uh, and I, and I love, I love your message and I love what you're saying. And your message is a message of hope. Your message is one of, you know, what our kids are, our kids, we need to accept that, that, that what is, is, and know that there's things we can do to give them a life where they can thrive as best as they can. Right. And your son, you said still does need a lot of care. And he also still has skills that he wouldn't have had had you not you know completely dedicated your life to this work right so right right and everything can be broken down and new skills can be taught mm -hmm. um and and the goal is really just to keep him safe independent happy you know we had to figure out how to get him a covid test how to how to you know have him wear a mask it's like there's always new skills yes. um that's great and yeah. and great. You know, the other big message, which I think you'll, it will really resonate with you and your audience, Robin, is, is that in my book, I talk about the parent, especially one parent, um, becoming the captain of the ship so that you know what professionals you need. You know how to talk to professionals. There's some people in my online course now that are posting like, like my, the behavior analyst came over or the therapist came over and she's like, how do you know this stuff? <laughs> how do you yeah. know what to ask? Or how do you know what a man versus attack is? And, you know, and they're like, oh, I'm taking Mary Barbera's course. And, and then, you know, but it's like, I want parents, you shouldn't have to be a registered nurse and a behavior analyst. I felt like, you know, as Lucas was growing older, you know, I'd have my pharmacist hat on, I'd have my advocate hat on, I'd have my registered nurse hat on. I want to empower parents, even if they don't have the background, to know what to do, who you need in place, what professionals are going to be helpful, and really create a movement to change the way autism is detected and treated, and to really empower the parents, because like you said, there is always hope that things can get better, 
and that um, your life can be a happy one. Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful message of hope. I, I love that. And for any parents that are listening who, who are in the trenches, please make sure you take time to take care of yourself because it is exhausting. It is overwhelming. It is above our pay grade as a parent. <laughs> you know, I mean, it is tough. It's hard enough to raise a typical child, never mind a child with extra needs and special needs. And, you know, Mary, you and I are the same in that uh, we both have kids with extra needs and we've both dedicated our lives to helping other parents. So, I mean, that is, uh, that is, a, I think it's a pretty special thing. And I just want to thank you so much. We, um, we're going to share all of the information about your book and your website. You have graciously uh, given the listeners, um, uh, you know, through, through my own site, um, a copy of the first chapter of your book, which is going to be great. So uh, we all have that to look forward to as well. Thank you for being here. I don't think this is the, the only time we'll talk because this is an important issue that we need to continue to talk about, learn about, um, to give ourselves and our kids hope. This is really important. Thank you so much for being here. Dr. Mary Barbera, you are wonderful. The book is Turn Autism Around and uh, you can go to turnautismaround.com and uh, find all about, find all everything you need to know about Mary and, uh, and her book. Thank you again for being here. Thank you, Robin. It's been great chatting with you. So look forward to many more years of collaboration. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace.